do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Universal Dialect Show, show number 24. Uh, I have a great guest on today. Like always, been knocking out, knocking them out with them bangers. I have another awesome guest. Uh, she's the author of four books. Uh, the latest one is The Key of Transformational Healing, which dropped uh, February 2022. She's a spiritual healer, teacher, tarot uh, card expert, middle path teacher, and creator of rogueways.org and rogueways uh, podcast and literally a million other things i'd like to welcome lindsay Sharman. how you doing i'm doing so so good chris thank you for having me today and wow when you said that i realized it's been almost a year since the key of transformational healing came out that's crazy yeah, time so goes by means, really fast <laughs> so you mean that means you need to drop something else <laughs> oh, it's coming. <laughs> the The third in the uh, Sign Curve of Aeons trilogy is almost done. Uh, and then there's plenty of other channeled material coming through as well. So I'm going to ask you a quick question. Do you believe in synchronicities? Of course. Okay, because I, I had a guest on yesterday and I asked him that same question because I was in contact with this guest about a month ago and then we finally set a date. And then um, I set the date with you. And then throughout the whole month of December, I took the time off. I didn't do any interviews, but I was doing research on both you and them to get questions, you know, be able to formulate questions. And then uh, Friday, Friday night, just to seal up some notes or whatever, I was looking up online and I realized and found that you were on a podcast with them and I interviewed oh. them yesterday. Huh. And you're going to interview with them tomorrow. And that's Ryder Lee. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it's weird, right? I didn't know yeah. that you guys were together on a podcast. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Ryder's a, Ryder's a good friend. That's um, that's how I live my whole life, honestly, is synchronicity. That's um, one of the main ways that I receive powerful messages and guidance from source or allies or guides, you know, whatever people want to describe what's sort of beyond uh our physical senses and yet good and true and beautiful and in alignment uh with source and so i definitely not only believe in them but i believe that they are something that we are meant to take deep um consideration of and to notice um and perhaps follow if you want to be so bold right right so i'm listening to you on other podcasts um i first heard you on tinfoil hat uh with sam tripoli um, there's a lot of parallels between uh, your life, particularly your upbringing and, and similarities of mine upbringing. So let's start there with the origin story of Lindsay Sharman how, how, and what led you on the path that you're currently on, please. And don't leave any details out. <laughs> ha! That'd be impossible not to leave details out. I also, every time I talk about anything, I... I feel like my brain gives me different memories or different aspects right. to highlight. So I, I never know where it's really going, but uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I guess, you know, when I was young, one of the defining, some of the defining aspects for me, at least of being young, were that I was, uh, first of all, living really rural my whole childhood, no matter where we moved to, which we moved a lot. Uh, and so I got to experience just tons of time in excessively beautiful areas of nature, uh, places where now like you kind of can only be maybe if you're like really rich, um, you know, because it, they were found out and infiltrated. But at the time, you know, it just it was if you were poor, you lived really rural and we were very, very poor. Uh, and, you know, I, there was times where we were homeless. There was times where uh, many times where I didn't know if we had food or enough food or we were going to have food. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of insecurity in my life and I had a lot of uh, a fear, you know, my, my dad was also a severe alcoholic. And so 
I didn't experience him as abusive, but there is something just abusive in that anyway, because you're neglectful, you're not always present, you know, you're definitely not having your eye on raising your children the best you can. So right. I think abandonment is is considered an abuse. So right. Yeah, abandonment and neglect. So um, so you know, that was really hard too. And and uh he was going through his own horror and hell because of his experiences in well, a lot of things, you know, and, I, and I'm not excusing his behavior, but one of the primary traumas he suffered was going to Vietnam. And so, uh, you know, he had this huge distrust of the government because he saw directly himself being experimented on, other people being experimented on. You know, he uh, was a high level, uh, an elite sniper, and he discovered that he was in Cambodia at some point. Uh, and so he experienced the lies of the government and the, you know, secret secretiveness and the things that we weren't supposed to do doing, the war crimes and all of this stuff. So he came back having killed who knows how many people, uh, very traumatized from that, like any human would be with a heroin addiction and with a deep distrust of the government. So I grew up in this very interesting pocket of both being deeply immersed in nature and, and understanding that beauty and actually developing this connection and communication with source and energies in that way, which I didn't even know I was doing at the time. At the same time, I was developing post-traumatic stress disorder and, and even complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which I would not be diagnosed with for many decades um, you know, because of all of the that going on. And at the same time, I was given this amazing gift by my father and my mother to question authority, to not trust the government, uh, to think for myself. You know, and one of the primary examples of this I always use was that my father once told me, you know, you don't have to say the flag salute. You know, and if you think about it, it's kind of weird that we're sitting there and we're we're all standing up and pledging our allegiance. And that means our promise, our commitment to this fabric and that we're not even really sure, like, what does that mean? Who is it that we're promising this to and and what's going on? You know, and whatever way he was communicating this to me as a child, <laughs> I was understanding like, yeah, that is kind of weird. Like, what are we doing? And I was in maybe second grade or something. And I stopped saying the flag salute and it wasn't this like angry rebellious. It was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't really know what it is. And and my dad told me I didn't have to, so I'm not going to, <laughs> um, you know, and he, and, and it wasn't either like, we don't say the flag salute in this family, right? It was, you get to decide what do you want to do? And that was sort of the, um, the gift that I feel really most grateful for is this uh, empowerment to think for myself, to question things for myself and, and the ability to stand up and do what I want for me, not because some teacher or some government or some parent told me to do it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of complex things going on in my childhood there, but I feel like I really got set up for the, the best possible life, despite the deep trauma that I've had to, you know, heal from for the rest of my life. Um, you know, which led to its own darkness, especially when my father then died when I was 11 uh, from, you know, drinking right. and drugging too hard for his whole life because of his trauma. So um, intergenerational trauma, you know, mm -hmm. stops here. And I definitely have uh, made a life of healing that. And now I help other people heal as well. That's that's awesome. Yeah, like like the, the similarities, like uh, my mother's father, uh, the stories that she tells is before he fought in the Korean War, he was just a good father, but then he came back and was completely different, extremely abusive. Um, and then, unfortunately, my mother picked up on that and she carried that behavior with me and my siblings. So, 
I know what that's like, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm sorry that, that you had to go through that, but in a way you learned a lot from it as well. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's sort of life, right? Um, yeah. when you talk about the connection to, as a child to nature, can you go more into detail with that? Like what sort of things were you doing? Yeah. How were you connecting to nature? Yeah, I really was lucky. Like I said, we lived just uh, maybe a mile or two from this uh, beach. Uh, it was just, uh, it wasn't the ocean. It's called the Puget Sound. I try not to tell people about it. It's too beautiful. I want to hide it still. But um, <laughs> um, we got to ride our bikes freely. I don't know if people remember the 80s, but we rode our bikes everywhere and there were no real limits. It was kind of like as far as your legs can take you, you're you're, you're cool to go uh, as long as you come back, you know, for food or, you know, whatever, but the lights come on or whatever right. <laughs> in the evening. And so we would ride our bikes down to this beach. Uh, I would just wander the beach for hours, you know, just looking at things, picking up rocks and stuff and playing in the waves and the surf. And there's not only something you learn about nature when you get to spend all this time in nature, um, but you also start to, I think, develop your own internal self a little bit more deeply. And when you do that, you find that there's a connection within in there. Uh, and And again, I wasn't doing this consciously, you know, but I also spent a lot of time climbing trees and in deep forests, running around forests for hours. We had lots and lots of forest land all around us. So I, I got kind of all of this nature immersion and I would find myself playing alone a lot. Um, and it's not because I was like antisocial. I had plenty of friends. My cousins lived just down the road and I could ride my bike to their house. Um, so I spent a lot of time playing with other kids too, but I liked being alone um, and I liked to go out and climb a tree and just sit in it by myself. Uh, and when I would do this type of, you know, alone play, I would ask myself questions about just life in the world because I'm just curious, right? Like all of us are, I would just look around and be like, well, I wonder why this is like this. And I would just find that I would just start to get sort of answers forming in my, in my mind. And uh, I started, you know, uh, externalizing this in a way and imagining this as another being. And people ask me all the time, do you think the guides and the allies and the things you work with are just an aspect of psyche? And I say, well, maybe not, maybe just is the wrong word, <laughs> just <laughs> that, right? But that is one way of thinking about it. And if that's more comfortable for people, I don't see anything wrong with it. And these beings and intelligences, as I experience them as, as external, I don't, they don't mind how you think of them as long as you develop this connection more and more which really is a connection that's inside of you anyway. So you may as well think of that way if you like, but I started externalizing it at least as this, um, these imaginary friends, you know, and I had one that was a very intelligent sort of doctor, like, you know, uh, she knew a lot. And then I had one that was a dragon. Um, and I genuinely can't remember the third one. I just remember feeling very love, very loving about it, very high level and, and loving about it. What's interesting is I was, you know, sort of invited to see them that way you know people were telling me like oh it's imaginary friends you have imaginary friends right. and like so so part of that was sort of I think placed upon me by outside you know expectations and and then therefore it was easier later to say like oh that was just imaginary friends everybody has them and they're not real it was years and years until I uh, made more direct connection with my guides and allies again and realized those two specific ones I described, the, the sort of smart intellectual doctor lady and the dragon are still there and they're still very real. <laughs> they're still very much in that exact form looking exactly the same. So very interesting, um, you know, to think that 
probably all children have this natural connection. Probably all children have, you know, guides and allies that that they in some way are receiving love or information or comfort or reassurance from. Um, and that we are taught to sort of whether it's externalizing it and seeing it as an imaginary friend and then dismissing it or just in some other way we're taught like that's not important or don't focus on that or it's silly or it's childish uh, and we start to turn it off and and turn away from it. Um, and I think that's a process most people go through, um, but it never actually goes away. Right. right. And, and part, probably part of healing and part of growing up, if we're doing it right, is making that connection again and finding that again and remembering that it's inside of us and that we never lost it. Do, do you do you think it's because as a, as a child, you know, the third eye isn't compromised? You are sort of in a more... Um, meditative brainwave state right where it's everything is sort of more trance-like uh, and that's measurable and we know that and it ends usually around seven or so is when it starts we start to shift back out of that into the more alert and awake you know society uh society's love of that sort of you know motivated like external sort of brainwave um and so there there's at least that going on right materially we can measure that and know that that's happening uh and whether or not the third eye is is less compromised in children or or not i would say probably just because we know that it does calcify with certain behaviors and certain substances over time and so the more you live in this material world the more likely you are to have less access to it or less function of it um you know but i also think uh I guess children still have uh, the higher tendency to have like a more open heart, right? And that curiosity that's still intact, which we can still have at any time in our life. But again, there are things that the world sort of tries to mold out of us and, and you know, scorn out of us and just right. sh shape us into something else. And so it's easy to let go of that. Uh, and children still have kind of all of that going for them. So I also think this is why a lot of people who are, more open and more more maybe in alignment uh really love to be around children and animals because they're they're both very good at maintaining those states that we feel like maybe we've lost even though we haven't we can all redevelop them are those beings still with you the, not beings i should say those guides are they still with you do um are, are they uh relegated to a specific place Can um they they're definitely you? They're definitely still with me always. Um, I, I never think about it as them following me because I just, uh, I guess I just, <laughs> it's an They're interesting question. Maybe, yeah. think, maybe well, that's what it is. I just think they don't experience time and space like we do. So I just, when I think of them, they're there. And when I'm not thinking about them, they're still there. I'm just not thinking about them. So <laughs> right? they're omniscient in a way. Uh, I don't even know if they're omniscient. They seem more omniscient than me, at least, right? right. Like they know a lot more than I do. Uh, and they've been able to therefore guide me and teach me in ways that I, I wouldn't have, you know, expected or or sometimes are still sort of hard to understand. But but yeah, they're they're always there. So there and there's more than them, you know, those are just the ones I have sort of a stronger relationship with because of they seem to have been assigned at birth or with me at birth or chosen me at birth or whatever, however that goes. Um, but there's definitely a millions of guides and allies out there. And every single person has access not only to their specific kind of closest guides and allies, but also all of them. So when I do healing work with people, any random guide and ally can show up. And, and sometimes ones show up that I've never even heard of. I don't know them. 
Right. You know, and I'm describing them and I'm like getting a, a name or a fraction of a name or sometimes names are really hard for me to get. Letters and, and words are are hard. Concepts and understandings are much easier, right? So sometimes I'll get that and I'll be describing it to someone and then I'll go look and I'm like, oh, this is like a real being actually. <laughs> like This is like some tradition or some religion somewhere like already venerates this saint or this Buddha or this, you know ascended master or, or whatever. And, and sometimes I never find that, but I still know like that is still a, a, an individual consciousness of some kind. And that's why I say, you know, for some people, it's easier to think of it as aspects of our psyche and I don't care and they don't care. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's, it makes no difference, right? In the actual lived uh, ex- experience and reality that we're all sharing here. It doesn't matter how you think of it. Uh, and so I don't get too attached to that. I know a lot of people really do and they really want to like define it. Like what exactly is it? Where exactly are they? What exactly is happening? And I'm like, here's 10 ways to think of it. <laughs> right. Choose your choose your flavor. Like, you right. know. It's like a choose your own uh, adventure book, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, Do you have siblings? I do. Do, do, do. do they experience any of these things as well? Or are you the only <laughs> one in the family? Uh, well, I'll say that I think every human experiences these things. Um, right. So yes, I think they do. And uh, are they as open to it or talk about it? Or do I talk to them about it? No. Right. So then I'll <laughs> no, not even a little. Right. I don't I don't even know that they know what I do, to be oh, quite wow. honest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So let's get into like the education, because I know you were education for, uh, for I think, 14 years. But um, yeah. we were talking about how like, you know, as kids, you know, uh, our third eye isn't as compromised or we have access to having an imagination. I don't feel like kids have that anymore mm-hmm. because as, at least in the last 20 years since the advent of the internet, you know, it's easy for them to just get on some sort of, uh, 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 you know, electronic device and just get lost and not really have to come up with anything in their own mind. Can you get into your educational background a little bit? Yeah, well, I do want to say it doesn't have to be that way. I have plenty of friends and even my brother is raising his two children in a way that is um, without those electronics. I mean, they they will watch something once in a while on TV and it's rare uh, and they're and their phones, you know, they've made their their own phone usage so minimal that the children don't even associate the phone as something they want to be. In- right connection with which is very different from some other friends i've had where they're always on their phone always on their phone so their kids want to be what is that thing that you're giving all this attention to like i want that too and then they get oh i love this thing i want to be always on this too very addictive right so you can do it differently and you can make a situation in an environment where it just isn't the focus and it just isn't something they're after and now my when my brother's kids see a phone just sitting there they'll just walk right by it they don't care at all they see a tv they just walk right by it they don't care because they've never been taught by it through our actions that this is an important thing to pay attention to so it is definitely possible although it is you know in this society we are more and more being asked to uh submit to the illusion uh and be lost in it uh in various ways and and this is one of the things that I love to teach about is that it's not just the the black mirror it's not just the electronics that are doing this it's it's everything about our society is inviting us to get lost and to get disconnected uh from ourselves from each other from nature uh and then you know be just in reactivity mode or be in thoughtlessness mindlessness mode and just be really lost in the illusion of this world so that's definitely a problem on multiple levels. Uh, and kids are the um, 
most likely target of this uh, because adults are you're able to choose you're able to direct yourself you're able to restructure your world more easily and kids are at the mercy of whatever their parents their environment and their schooling has placed around them so uh, I did become a teacher because I wanted to help save uh, as many kids as possible from the the mouth of madness so to speak and um, especially the education system itself uh, so I went into the education system with full awareness and knowledge that it was evil, <laughs> that it is controlled by psychopaths, uh, and that my whole goal was to sneak the fire in and, you know, show the fire to as many kids as possible. Be like, look, you two can have a fire. You can burn also <laughs> and like right, see right. how many of those little guys I could jailbreak out of this system. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it was beautiful. And I, I loved that experience and super hard to do to be the, you know, often lone aware thinking adult in a sea of of really sick uh people who are also very unintelligent and um use children for their own fulfillment and and you know sometimes in the worst ways you know there's a lot of pedophiles and and sexual uh deviancy that that attracts teachers or that te that people are attracted those types of people are attracted to teaching because they have access to children there's also just the more mundane you know i never grew up i never healed myself and now i'm going to go be in charge of a bunch of children who i can you know mentally abuse and emotionally abuse right. nobody looks at it that way but that's what it is uh so that i can satisfy my own need to feel important and you know dominant or that i've achieved something in life it's really really disturbing and there's very few individuals who are teachers who seem to genuinely care about the child and the child's development into an adult uh very very rare it, it's so that's really difficult as an awake and aware person to be a teacher in this environment um and then you also automatically for me at least get targeted by almost everyone almost all of the time because for me at least i did things very very differently than right. other teachers did you stood out <laughs> i stood out like a sore thumb and so um, it's easy to attack me and and it and there's no real reason for it. So uh, my my students loved me. My students had higher test scores than other teachers. My students did better. They got higher grades in my classes. Um, the parents loved me. And so there's no real reason I would get attacked, but I would get attacked constantly, all of the time, by other teachers, by my administration, constantly. So I was always having to defend myself. Teaching is already a hard enough job, even if you're right. doing the worst kind of job at it. Even if you're doing the bare minimum, it's still difficult because you're still in contact with hundreds of children every day who need something from you, right? And even if you're just barely eking by and don't really care that much, it's still a stressful job where there's 10 billion things to do. So there's that on top of, I'm actually doing a better job than anyone else. I'm creating all my own curriculum from scratch because there is no curriculum that does a good job. So I have to create my, good, my own curriculum if I want to actually teach kids anything. And I'm dealing with all of those attacks all of the time. So it was one of the most difficult um, things I've ever done. And uh, I am a, a master teacher and I am a board certified teacher. So I have the highest accolades you can get as a teacher in our society. 
Um, and I still ended up leaving because I just couldn't do it. It was, it was me or them, right? I was like, I was going to fall apart and start to crumble and die or, or I was going to start to become the teacher that I hated and stop doing my, my duty, my sacred duty, right. And start just doing a job for a paycheck. And I just wasn't willing to do that. So I finally left teaching. I think it's been three years now. Right. So, okay. So, cause I was a paraprofessional for four years. Mm. Um, so, I, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the experiences and what was the ultimate experience that kind of drove you out? And then I can give you, I could tell you what happened with me. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, ultimate final experience was, you know, my whole entire career, like I said, I went into teaching to specifically help, especially the, the, the worst off, right. The most, um, I oppressed or or whatever you want to, however you wanted to think of it. And so those kids are always at alternative schools, right? We, we push them off into a corner and it's convenient for the sort of main schools administration because now all their problem students are gone. Um, and it's convenient for those children because now they've reassured themselves like, yes, my identity is to be forgotten, abandoned, different, and, you know, all of these things. And, it's really, really sad. And so uh, I love, I went to an alternative school myself and my, one of my colleges was an alternative college. So I have, you know, this strong alternative uh, background. I know it can be done really well. Like it really, it can be better than the sort of mainstream schooling for right. sure. In fact, that's what it was intended to be in the beginning was a salvaging of actual education uh, and then inviting these students who most often are our brightest and best. And that's why they're so tortured is because they can see through everything and no one is helping them. <laughs> no one loves them and nothing is is actually going as it probably should. And they know it. So so I've always had a soft spot in my heart for alternative schools. And I've been actually trying to work at alternative schools the entire time I was teaching. So I started teaching in 2009, right after the crash and every single teacher was laid off. Teachers with years of experience and, you know, all of this were being laid off. So I had very little chance of even getting a job, uh, but I did get a job. I got a job by moving to like the most rural place you could ever go. And I worked on one of the few reservations in the United States that is, um, that actually houses a public school on reservation land. And so all of my students were uh, native students. They were all ELL and they were all living in poverty. It was a hundred percent in all those categories. So it was a supposedly a very difficult school, but it wasn't actually, it was actually the best. It was so awesome. I loved working there and those kids were amazing. But um, I did end up uh, leaving, you know, because it was so rural. I just I couldn't actually handle living there as a younger person. So I just have traveled around a lot uh, trying to get jobs because of that economic situation. And I would just kind of get whatever I could. I ended up actually working at an alternative school my third year, or maybe it was my fourth year. Um, and I was so excited, but it was a non-continuing. All these positions were non-continuing for years. I don't know how many people out there even understand what that means, but you couldn't find full-time jobs, basically. Yeah, was, you couldn't find jobs where... Yep. It was just that year. And so you'd have to apply again if the job was even open the next year. And they were doing this because of funding. Um, You know, they wanted to keep a lot of us, but they just couldn't. So that next year, that job wasn't open. So I went to the next job. Finally, I found a full-time continuing position, which was like, thank God. Uh, And so I stayed there for a few years. And after a few years, a job in that same district opened up in the alternative school in that district. So I like jumped on it and I'm the only person who jumped on it because nobody wants to work at the alternative school. It's not just where they put the problem students. It's where they put their problem teachers. (laughs) So my principal 
when I applied to that job, I should say my vice principal came up to my classroom and he said, oh, you're finally getting out of here. I'm so excited. And then left. <laughs> so that's how much he hated me. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and the principal at the other school uh, was a little bit wary, I guess, because she probably had heard like some negative things about me, but she was also saw my you know, high accolades and all of these achievements I had and was like, I mean, this is a much better package than we usually get offered. <laughs> you know, we usually get the first years and the people who have been accused of a million things over many years and are constant right. problems in that way and those kind of teachers. So she ended up being kind of excited. And I went over there and I was really excited because I finally was going to have this alternative school position and get all the kids who are the the most screwed up, which was what I was too. And the ones who I would literally been training my whole life for and the methods that I had been using in the general population were actually methods that are supposed to be used for the most highly traumatized kids and the least um uh performing kids the lowest performing kids and all of these things you're supposed to use only in alternative schools I had always been using because actually those are just the best methods those are just those are just best practice actually right. <laughs> um so I'm going into this school with everything that you could possibly want and need for this population. And the teachers there were so threatened by that, that they formed a, you know, narcissistic um, click click against me and started poisoning children against me before I even started there. And so when I started there, all of the students in the classroom were uh, in I mean, if you know anything about teaching and especially alternative schools, they're already going to be in a long period of finding trust with you and pushing every right. boundary to right. see if you're going to abandon them or right. hurt them or you know, all you. these things. Yep. Right. So that on top of that, all of their codependent relationships with their very mentally ill other teachers were informing them that I was an enemy to be not trusted. Um, and so I had an even harder time with that than than you would normally have right. you had a double at, battle yes at my other school my you know the the students who were still there who maybe would have been pushed towards alternative school especially my gay and lesbian students my trans students and whatever they would come uh and seek me out and they actually asked me to be the leader of the lgbtq you know the glisten um club and and whatnot you know and, and right. which is an honor because you feel safe enough with me that you would like right. me to be your you know because that's a personal thing and most yeah. don't open up that way but to have them open up to you like that and invite you in to be a part right. of that, that that shows that they trust you right and at this other school within like a month i was accused of being a transphobe okay <laughs> and yeah which was a setup you know they would right. they would set up situations to try to make me fail i had teachers who would sneak into my classroom and steal my records from me I was a meticulous record keeper. I'm, I'm an exceptionally type A personality and I have nothing but records. Uh, and, and I had never in 14 years lost a single record in any way. And all of a sudden I was losing records less, left and right. <laughs> and know, what was the goal um, of the record of them taking records from you? Like how would they that? Would, it was a setup. So they would okay. steal the records from me. And then my principal or vice principal would come in the next day and ask me for those exact records, which again, in 14 years, I had never been asked for any of my records. Right. <laughs> you know, you keep them just in case and you never, ever end up using them. Uh, and I would had all of a sudden for the first time ever they were missing. And then I was also asked for those exact ones. Yeah. And this happened multiple times. So uh, then they started gaslighting me and saying like, oh, you know, you must be 
crazy. Like that would never happen. No one would do that. And, you know, then one day, uh, one of the male teachers there came into my room before class started when I was alone in my room, shut the door, which locks it. I don't know if people know the way school yeah, doors work now, but yep. yep, it's a safety thing. It's a shooter thing or whatever. And so it locked. So I'm in a locked room with a man. I'm in the far corner, as far away from the door as you can get. He walks all the way over. I'm literally cornered now. And he starts yelling at me and telling me that, um, you know, everyone there, I'm making their life worse and life harder. And I'm just doing a bad job. And if I don't like teaching and I don't like kids, then I should probably leave and never come back. So this was going on now. And I finally, again, after all these years, I finally got to this alternative school. I'm finally in this place where I could thrive. I could change the lives of all of these students. Uh, that's all I've been doing at any school I've been at. Again, my students, my teacher, my my parents, like they all love me. They come to me and they're like, how did you do this? This kid has never succeeded. How did you do? Like I was right. a very good teacher. And now I'm in this place where I've wanted to be more than any other situation and I'm experiencing just constant narcissistic attack, gaslighting, um, and sabotage um, from teachers and students. So it was a very, very rough year. But uh, what's also true is that for years I had been saying, I can't do this much longer. It's so hard on my body and my soul. I'm so stressed out all the time. In the summer, I have like, uh, you know, <laughs> breakdowns because I have to go back to work soon. And I start like freaking out because <laughs> right. it's so hard. Uh, yeah, and... I had the same thing, anxiety, like mm -hmm. knowing that you have to go in the next day and you know what's waiting for you there, you know? Yeah, and, and people would, and people misunderstand this every time I talk about it. They go, oh yeah, those kids are so hard. No, the kids were the best part of my day. If I could just go be with children and just like help them with, in any way they wanted, I would be so happy. That is not what's hard about my job. It's these right. psychopaths. It's the system itself. The and system it's, sucks. Yep. It's broken. Uh, as a para, my job was, para is, you know, one of those terms, you know, that, that doesn't really have a, a true definition. But mm -hmm. my job as a para, I was what they call a severe ed para. So I worked with kids that had disabilities and things along those lines. Yeah. The only reason why I got the job is because uh, out of my three kids, two of them are on the spectrum. So I had yeah. experience raising kids on, on the autism spectrum. So most of the kids I dealt with were on the autism spectrum, not really behavioral, but yeah. every once in a while, I did, they did call me to help with certain students that had behavioral issues because they had abusive backgrounds and so did I. So I could relate to them most of the time. Mm -hmm. I loved it initially when I first started doing that, but then the rules changed and there was no reason why the rules changed, but they just changed. Next thing you know, we have an influx of, children with these issues which isn't a problem but the manpower wasn't there and then we're all getting stretched so thin and I felt like at times I was getting set up and put in situations where they introduce me to this kid this this student the student starts to relate to me and then they pull me from the student and then the student's asking me oh how come you're not coming to see me anymore and I'm trying to explain to them it's not me I would love to spend more time with you but I can't I'm being pulled in all these different directions. And it got to the point, like you said, anxiety, not wanting to just come into work anymore. And then I just called it quits. And now I'm in a completely different career field. Another one that I hate, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> nonetheless, I'm in a completely different career field. So I understand that. Well, you, like anybody who's drawn to the care positions, you know, experience the same thing. And these institutions are set up this way on purpose 
uh, because they're not meant to actually provide help, care, or healing, or or even education to anybody. They're they're just so, meant to keep people yep locked in a system and trained in a certain um, sort of mentality. And and that mentality is narcissistic, psychopathic, um, or, or whatever you want to call it. That's all one spectrum, right? And so we can call it a lot of things. I just say narcissism because it's an easy uh, it's an easier thing for people to connect with on the right, spectrum. Digest, yes. Um, and that narcissistic structure is meant to be there. And so anytime you start to bring non-narcissism into that structure, uh, yeah, they change the rules. They'll change the numbers on you. They'll make your job impossible to do. And I say this all the time. Teaching is an impossible job. Para is an impossible job. If they wanted it to be a job that actually helped people, we would have at least triple the manpower in all of those right. positions, We'd right. at least. Uh, and they don't. They don't want that. You know, and they're always saying like, oh, more money for education. But when they do, do they ever put it towards actually getting more people in a lower student to teacher ratio? Not ever, not ever, not even once. They put it into technology every time. Well, what is technology? It's narcissistic. So, of course, they would put it into technology. A, it's going to be cheaper for them in the long run. And B, it reinforces those, um, you know, mindsets and, and relationships that they want not the ones that they don't want, which is, you know, the caring and the the goodness and the connection. Like you would think that we would highlight that, that we would want that, that we would focus on it and, and move towards it. But as a society, we're so disconnected from what education even is. I was just lamenting this this morning. I was saying, you know, again, for the five billionth time, <laughs> um, education is not in any way something that people understand and they don't want to because it's so inconvenient for them to think about that education really is just a prison it is literally just a prison and if you happen to have a good prison guard once and now and then that's pure luck but the intention is that you have bad prison guards and that they keep you in a narcissistic system so that you are a slave for the rest of your life um and, and if you look at that too deeply, you start to realize, I can't send my kid into this. It's torture. It's not ever going to produce something worthwhile. It's not meant to produce something worthwhile. And now you have to ask yourself the question, well, what do I do instead? That's inconvenient. It's expensive and inconvenient. <laughs> so nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, and if I bring it up, people assume that I'm just sort of like a troublemaker and I'm just like... <laughs> complaining or something or that I'm mad because I couldn't make it in that world. I'm like, oh, I made it in that world. I did better. I was a better teacher than any teacher I've ever met in my life, period. I'll just right. say that. I am I know it's true. Uh, that it's not true. It's not that I couldn't make it. Um, it's that the system is disgusting. Right. And you had, to, you had to make a choice, your mental, you know, your sanity or, you know, just to make a paycheck. And being yeah. in the classroom with a lot of these teachers, what I also saw too, a lot of them coming out of pocket when they shouldn't have to yeah. and not being able to get the supplies. And then the demand that the education system is like, do this, but I'm not going to give you the tools to do your job. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, n- I never understood that. Those unfunded mandates. They love to have those. Yeah. But, and, and yet everybody at the top gets their bonuses though. They'll <laughs> get their bonuses. The principal, vice principal, they'll get their bonuses though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm like, how do these people make this much money and they do almost nothing? <laughs> it's amazing. I know. All right. So let's get into some of your uh, paranormal experiences because you have a bevy of them. Mm-hmm. Um, when did this start happening for you? It's, 
it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint, you know, because like I said, the more I look at my really young years, the more I see this was sort of always happening, but in a way that maybe um, it was just harder for me to notice or put my finger on. But by the time I was a teenager, things were pretty ob- um, obtuse. It was very obvious uh, right. and very direct, direct happening. So, um, you know, maybe by 12 or 13 or God, probably even before then. Um but, you know, I, I definitely also at this time was going deep, deeper and deeper into my own darkness. Like I said, my father died when I was 11. So I went into a very severe depression and, um, you know, we moved and we were homeless for a while and all of these, you know, we were even more economically oppressed than normal. And, um, you know, so I started uh, doing drugs and uh, abusing drugs and alcohol and abusing myself and and all of this stuff. And so it was all kind of happening at the same time. And so it's it's also very confusing in that way. And uh, I, you know, I sometimes want to go back through my journals because I was a meticulous journal keeper, just like That's I was cool. a meticulous record keeper. I wish um, I would have done and, that when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, it was therapy for me. You know, right. my one of my counselors at one point. Um, said like well why don't you start uh writing and and just pretend like you're writing to someone because I was expressing that like I have so much to say and there's not enough time in counseling to even like get to it all so what's the point I was I was kind of like bitter like well no one's listening and no one's gonna and like what's the point and I all this she's oh why don't you write it then and and just pretend like you're talking to somebody and and that and I was like huh and so I started writing like all day every day and so everything I've ever experienced is documented you know, with the date and everything so I could go back and find out but in my mind it's it's so kind of convoluted because um of all of this right I was I was on a lot of drugs and I started doing crystal meth and cocaine and acid wow. when I was uh yeah 12 years old and um you know where were you at when this when this was happening were you living like in a big city or something no, very rural, very, very rural, oh. tiny, tiny little town. Um, so it is it is a myth, I think, that only big cities have this danger. Right. It's definitely right. everywhere. <laughs> right. um, you know, because there's adults everywhere that are making and producing and trafficking these drugs. So, right. and, trafficking, and many of them exactly. <laughs> and many of them don't care if kids get their hands on these things. So they just want to the make one. Money. Yeah. The one drug dealer I knew who had a, a heart, so to speak, and wouldn't sell to us. Uh, got murdered so I mean that's a, I feel like it's similar to right. a lot of other uh systems you know you can't they took him good... out of they took him out of the picture because he wasn't going you know abiding by the rules I guess right well and they saw him as weak and a target therefore right you have morals and you're weak right. <laughs> so uh so yeah I I also was doing a lot of drugs at that time and and that instantly for a lot of people discounts a lot of what I experienced like oh you were on drugs. And I'm like, well, now I can tell who has never done drugs. Cause uh, <laughs> if you've done drugs, you understand that drugs right. don't just like warp all of reality for you. It's not even anything like that at all. And so, um, but you know, that's, that's also in there in the mix. Um, but I did, I started experiencing um, what I call a, a demonic attachment and uh, what other people might call a poltergeist like experience. And again, that was probably when I was 12, 13, maybe 14 at the latest yeah it's it's hard to pinpoint but um what was happening what type of stuff well uh to start the story off i i by the way had 
gone to a sleepover and one of the girls, this was a sober sleepover. So I was also always trying to be sober through all these years. <laughs> so like, let's do a bunch of crystal meth and Coke and then I'll feel bad. And then I'll get an AA and go to sober meetings and, and, you know, be sober and then I'll go back to drugs. And I did right. this back and forth for like eight years. But, um, so I went to a sober sleepover and the girl was doing tarot readings and I'd never had any contact. I had no idea what was even going on. I didn't, I didn't understand anything. I was just like some kind of card game that tells your future or something, right? That was my understanding of it. Right. And uh, when it got to my turn, I, I did this and um, she, the way she did tarot readings and anybody out there listening, I'll just tell you, this is the opposite that you should ever, don't ever do this at home. She invited a spirit to guide the reading. If you're going to invoke spirits, don't do it without knowing which spirits you're invoking, why you're invoking them, or the energy of that which you are trying to align with. Uh, if you just invite any old spirit to come in, that's just an open doorway now, and any old spirit might come in. So is it very similar to Ouija board, like playing with the Ouija board and not knowing what you're doing and opening up something and invite possibly something coming through that you can't control. It's a very similar yes, in those ways. Very similar. And okay. you don't need either of those tools. You could just go out and say to yourself, like I invite blah, 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 and, and oh, it'll come. Gotcha. Uh, your free will is enough. Um, but these games and these tools often invite us to go traipsing into the unknown in ways that we weren't necessarily prepared for. Uh, so I definitely was unprepared. I had no, I didn't even believe in that stuff at this point in my life. I was very materialist, atheist, objective. And, um, you know, part of that is because it's easier to sneer at everything from those points of view. Like, oh, you believe in love? <laughs> like, you believe in that? Like, life is crap. How dare you? <laughs> like, you know, um, so I definitely didn't believe in that stuff. So I was like, it's just a game or whatever. And she's inviting a spirit and whatever. I definitely didn't feel anything shift in that moment. But the reading she gave me was bizarre. And now I know, looking back, how bizarre it was. And uh, if you're familiar with tarot at all, you might know too. Because every single card of a 10-card reading was a major arcana card. There's, uh, oh, I always forget, a 74 deck. There's cards in a deck. Yeah, 74 cards in a deck. And uh, so 22 of them are major arcana. So in a 10-card reading, you might get two or three usually. This is a 10-card reading, and I got 10. So it's already very unlikely. And then every single one of them was reversed. Cards have a 50-50 chance of being reversed or not. And in any given reading, I almost never get more than like five reversed cards, right? right. If any, some, sometimes it's more likely to not get as many reversed. Anyway, all reversed, all major arcana. And so as she, and she's been reading tarot for a while, so she knows how weird that is. So as she's flipping over each card, she's like freaking out more and more. She's like, oh my God, oh my God. And, and I'm like, I don't know, why is this guy freaking out on his card game? Uh, but by the end of it, she was like, didn't even want anything to do with me or the reading. She just was like, this is crazy. You're crazy. I have no idea what's going on with you or what this means. And she's like almost crying. I'm like, I, now I'm kind of scared because your reaction is so over the top. But I was just like, I mean, okay. And that was it. But I was intrigued. I was like, what is this weird game? And so I went and actually got the exact same deck <laughs> and the exact same um, books and everything to start to read tarot myself. Cause I was like, this is weird. I'm like, what is this actually? And, and as I was doing that, I was um, really, really good at it. Like I instantly could just understand what the cards meant and what they were saying. And I'd give readings to people and they would freak out because it was so accurate. How did you know? How did you know? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just right. reading what the cards say. And, so people started coming to me for readings and I just had this uncanny 
high level ability to uh, know exactly what was going on and, and give them this accurate information. And at the same time, uh, and I didn't connect the two things for a long time, but at the same time, things in my house started uh, moving about in front of me without seeming action, actually acting upon them. So things on, on counters would jump off and land in front of me and just weird stuff. And I kind of, I like, I would notice them, but I would just explain them away. I'd be like, I don't know, something like life is weird. <laughs> like, right. you know how you set a glass down on the water and it like moves and the first time I saw that, I was like, what is reality? <laughs> you know, and then I was like, oh, it's just this. So, so I was kind of like, you know, there's just things we don't understand and right. who knows what's happening. But eventually I like couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, you know, a flashlight fell off the wall and turned on. And when I picked it up to put it back in, I realized it had to have a button to press and the plug-in had to come all the way back and latch inside of it. And then a button had to get turned on for the light to come on. And none of that could have happened by it falling off the wall. Right. So I was like, this is what? Like that freaked me out. I was like, how did that even happen? And there is no explanation for, there is no just like, water on the table explanation for this flashlight falling off and turning right. on like that doesn't right. happen so then i started understanding like something's going on in the meantime another thing i did not connect to all of this was that i started having uh more and more uh sleep paralysis uh and sleep paralysis is uh for people who don't know you wake up in the middle of the night and your body is still paralyzed but your mind is awake you might even have your eyes open um and I never had my eyes open. I would just wake up and be paralyzed and be fully awake and, you know, hear the sounds of the house and understand that I was awake, but be paralyzed. It was very scary. It's very scary for anyone who has experienced it in it and it, um, but nothing ever really happens. You just sit there scared and paralyzed and eventually you move a finger or something and then you can wake up and, and it's fine. So all of this is happening at once. Um, we have a Native American background. My father is Native American and um, my sister at the time through her sobriety, she was also, you know, in, in AA and I tried to be sober. She's a little older than me. She uh, had met a Native American uh, woman who had a sweat lodge not too far away from us. And she invited me to come do a sweat with them. And I was like, sure. And until I got there and realized you're supposed to be like naked with all these women. And I was like, really weirded out by that. I was like, what is this weird ceremony? <laughs> but I was like, well, I'll just wear my clothes or whatever. And um, which is dangerous. But anyway, I, I did that. And in the sweat lodge ceremony, when we were coming out, someone was like, you know, you had like, you have like something on you or like you have around something going you, on right. and yeah, around you. And, and as, and are you experiencing, you know, and, and I was kind of like, what? like you weird. Uh, and no but then I was also like well I am like this sleeping thing and I wake up and I'm paralyzed and and so she was like okay here's what you do you have like a mom she's like do you believe in God I'm like no because I used to but I went into the darkness and I decided love and God don't exist and so I was like no of course not it's stupid you know she's like well you have to like call on something and, and just feel like something can can connect with you or like protect you or whatever and just say something and, and and do it like a prayer or a mantra in your mind when this happens you know, and, and what's your mantra going to be? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. What if I just say like, I'm safe or I'm, I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, okay. I mean, if that's the best you could do, like that's mm -hmm. the best you could do. So I was like, okay. So the next time it happened, I had this mantra. I felt a little better and whatever. These things are happening around the house, but I'm like, I don't know, maybe ghosts exist or something. Like, I'm not really sure. It's weird. No one's going to care or believe me. It doesn't but really How matter. often are they happening? These incidents like every it's once more in a while. 
more and more frequent. So this is all happening over like a year or two or oh, wow. so. Okay. Yeah. So it got to kind of a crescendo where like things are moving now, like all the time. Uh, I'm having sleep paralysis multiple times a week. Uh, and, you know, I'm giving tarot readings all of the time too. Well, I was one night sitting in my um, computer desk and I was playing solitaire probably or something, you know, like it's just whatever I was doing <laughs> late at night and my dog's under the desk with, uh, by my feet and, I just feel something like dark and, you know, we've all felt this feeling like someone's looking at us and it felt like that, but I was alone in the house. Uh, and, and so I'm like turning around to like, look, and no one's there obviously, cause no one's in the house, but I'm like, but I keep having it. And I keep turning around and I keep being like, why do I feel like someone's behind me? Like it's tripping me out and I'm not even high, you know? Uh, and it feels dark. Like it feels not good it feels like a, a a menacing energy and I was like I don't know and then it started getting cold really cold uh and I was like that's weird I just turned the heat up you know and like it's like 80 degrees in here because I'm a freak and uh how am I suddenly this cold just out of the blue and I'm like is there a window open like no no there's no windows open and then my dog wakes up and he gets up from under the desk and he starts growling and I try to explain to people this dog had literally not once in its life ever growled. Dog's like 12 or years or so, you know, it's old dog, older dog. Well, plenty of times where it could have growled. Never once heard this dog. It's the happiest, most well-adjusted dog in the world. And it had never, ever growled. And he started growling. So instantly I'm like, what the hell? Like right, so, so, yeah. something is deeply wrong right now i'm cold i feel like someone's staring at me menacingly from behind and now my dog is growling at the exact spot where i'm feeling that coming from so i'm like freaked out i like run to my room and hide under the covers and like go to bed because i'm like i'm not dealing with it i don't know right. what this I'm is and, yeah you know you don't have any support for this there's no people out there and this is pre-internet and i mean i think there was the internet but it was like very much not available to most people um to me at least <laughs> and so you don't know what to you have no support for this you don't know what to do about it no one's gonna believe you anyway and so it's just what what do you do you hide under the covers is what you do so <laughs> so I'm hiding under the covers and I fall asleep and um you know it's either that same night or the next night it was very very much like one on top of the other but I have sleep paralysis again but this is like the hundredth time I've had sleep so, you know it's like not a big deal anymore at all so I'm just kind of sitting there like waiting for it to pass but this time I realize something's different and it's that I can see everything my eyes are not open but I can see everything and in stunning clarity as well and I'm like this is really really my room I'm, I'm in my room physically I'm awake in my body but I can like look around me in 360 degrees and see everything uh and that was really exciting mind-blowing but also scary and, and weird and it had never happened before and and so I count this as my first out-of-body experience even though I didn't really go far from my body I I was having that sort of experience and not knowing it and then I felt that same feeling of the being stared at from behind and the menacing energy and then I feel it coming closer and I realize that this is actually a thing that is conscious and moving towards me now and as it's like starting to come through my wall, my dog in real life is at my door scratching it and whining, which again, never done before. 
not once ever. So the dog's on outside of your room <laughs> trying to get in? Outside of the room, trying to get in. Okay. So, he, so he's aware you? that this thing is coming, right. right? Exactly. So I have this sort of evidence building that like things have not been right. They're very much not right right now. Uh, now this thing is coming towards me and my dog at least doesn't like it. And it doesn't feel good to me either. And it now comes through the door and because I can see everything in whatever level of awareness I'm in now, I can see it. I couldn't see it when I was in my physical body awake, but I could see it now in this place. And it is just a mass of black, smoky, oily substance. Ooh, I've seen that before. (laughs) Very gross. Very gross. And I was like instantly like, nope, nope, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, this is not happening and Uh this is not good. Uh, And it um, understood that I was very much in rejection of it and it morphed into the shape of a young child that was a girl child probably like eight years old or so right and I and I go oh and in my mind so remember when I had thought this is all just a ghost is probably like probably ghosts exist and this is all that or something I don't know but so that thought came back I was like oh it is a ghost it's a little girl ghost and she's just a little girl and why did I see her as a black writhing mass? I don't know. That's gone for the moment because now she's this yellow glowing girl in my mind is what a ghost might look like. Right. I didn't really necessarily pay attention in the moment, but I could look back and see later that she was still surrounded in the black aura. Uh, so that didn't really go away. She could morph into that and try to be deceiving. Right. But at the same time, she couldn't really hide her true nature. So I like to point that out for people who might get worried that um these things can be deceiving they can but not really so um but it it was working because in the moment i was like oh it's just a ghost it's just a little girl and then the further sort of deceptive element is that my ego got stroked because i thought whoa why would this ghost girl be coming to me and all this time put into like connecting with me i must be like good at helping ghosts or something right especially yeah uh and um so that worked too. So I was protective. I'm protective over children. I was, you know, in that ego state, like, oh, maybe I'm special. And all of this was definitely very intentional. So right as I'm sort of thinking that all and getting my guard down and, and being more open to this, something very strong and loud in my head said very, very clearly, and this is from inside, by the way. And it said, uh, that's just what it wants you to think. And when it said that, I was chills because I knew it was true. And I was like, ah, why, why did I let myself get like lost in this? And I instantly, and it knew too. So then this thing, whatever it is, it knows what I'm thinking. It knows what I'm feeling. It knows what I'm hearing. Like it knows everything. Uh, and and it knew that the, that the gig was sort of up right in that moment, right? And that I was putting my defenses back up. And so it sprung towards me. And this is all happening very quickly now. Uh, and it's flying towards me. And as it's flying towards me, I'm I'm realizing I don't know what it is still. I still don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I feel like I can't handle this. And so I asked God for help. I said, dear God, please help me. And right then this like shield seemed to appear around me, uh, like a translucent sort of shimmering field, just like as soon as I thought that even before I even like would have managed to put the thought together into words, it was already there because I asked for it. And this thing hit that and it literally couldn't go past it. And I saw it like right by my face, trying to get through and very, very angry that it had failed to do so. 
And there was a sound to that. And it sounded like screeching and moaning and yelling and metal clashing and bombs going off and every negative sound you could imagine, like put into one wow. sort of scream, uh, which is the most chilling and horrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. And I understood I was safe in that moment, but obviously it was still very traumatic as the next few moments passed and it was trying to get past this barrier of whatever nature it was. And I was the whole time just going like, move your finger, just move your finger, just wake up and get out of this nightmare. Yeah. Um, And I finally moved my finger and I finally got up and I finally ran out. And by this time in the night, my mom had gotten home, uh, you know, she worked the night shift and she worked weird hours. Uh, And I ran into her room and got into the bed with her because I didn't know what else to do. And she just passed out. I mean, night shift nursing and her life, very stressful. So she just was like, yeah, whatever. And just like kept sleeping. But I was just sitting there like shaking, like, oh my God, what was that? And can it still get me? And am I safe? And Or am I insane? Because this is now the next thought is like, I must be crazy. Just this isn't real. This doesn't happen to people. Like this is a movie thing, you know, like. And so I was going through all of that. And and also uh, I was going through without sleeping, just the constant um, imagery of what I can only describe as like a tortured hellscape of things that I would never, ever be able to imagine on my own and don't want to ever remember really all night long. I was just seeing uh, the most grotesque and horrifying things. And I was, and so again, I was like, I must be crazy because I can't stop thinking of this stuff and I don't understand where it's even coming from. I've no, I don't watch movies like this. Like this isn't in my consciousness, you know, right. this nasty, horrifying stuff. So all night like that, I didn't sleep much, you know, I went to school the next day and um, my friends who had seen me again for years on and off crystal meth, acid, coke, like, you know, drinking binges and staying up for nights and nights on you know, without sleep and just in the worst kind of states uh, and had never, ever reacted to this way, to me this way before. But when they saw me, they were like, what is wrong with you? What is going on? And I was like, damn, like, what is it? And, and I kept saying nothing, like nothing, like I'm fine. Cause I wasn't not going to tell people, you know, like, oh, well, actually last night I went totally insane in this horror <laughs> thing, <laughs> you know, like that's not a conversation topic. So, um, but by the time like the third or fourth person just was like, la la la, and then saw me and was like, whoa, what's wrong with you? I was like, dude, what is this thing that other people are seeing it now? And it's like, you know, it's like on me or something or it's in me. Like, am I, I don't know. And I started thinking like, what if demons are real? And if they are like, how do you get help with this? And then I have these friends whose parents are very fundamentalist Christians and had always been talking to me about, you know, demons and God and you know, I'd been friends with her for, for probably a decade at this point and have been going over to her house and, and they always wanted to save me. And, you know, they're those types of parents. And right. so I was like, they're going to know what to do. Like, they're going to at least know uh, how to help me maybe or, or some, they're the only people who are going to believe me at least. So I called them from the payphone, uh, which used to exist. And yeah, um, I remember those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I asked them, can I come over? This is the middle of a school day. This is like the school day is about to start. And they're just like, yeah, <laughs> skip school and come over. Sure. Because yeah, yeah. uh, they had always had their eye on me and they knew um, and they knew I was doing tarot, too, by the way. And this isn't a Christian anti-tarot tirade, by the way. I still do tarot today, but in a very safe way. But anyways, I went to their house. 
I started telling them what was happening. And I was saying to them, I don't know if I've like done too many drugs and I've gone insane or, or what. And they were like, oh, no, you're being attacked by a demon. <laughs> right, straight I was up. like, just, yeah, <laughs> no, no qualms about this at all. And, and I was like, well, if that's true, what do we do about it? And they're like, it's easy. You pray to Jesus. So I'm like, it cannot be that easy. This has been going on now for like a year. I'm starting to put it all together finally, right? Like all the sleep paralysis, all the tarot that I'm so good at that I just know the answer to everything like instantly and easily without ever having studied this before. And, you know, all of this stuff that's moving around the house, like it's all coming together. And I'm like, yeah, I, is it that easy? You pray to Jesus, it's just done. Like, we'll see. So, so I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? And they're like, you just repeat these words, right? Just close your eyes, just reach out to God in your heart and just say these words. And I did the prayer and it's something like, you know, I, Jesus come into my heart. You know, it's very simple. I don't know. There's probably more sentences than that. I can't really remember, but that's the essence of it. And when I said though, that part of the prayer, like Jesus, please come into my heart, head to toe instant relief and peace i get chills every time i describe this moment because i didn't even know until that moment how terrified how stressed out how these images were still going in the background all the time even when i was awake and walking around and all of that was just gone in a second and i started crying and i was like oh my god like it is that easy <laughs> it really is that easy i just invited him in and everything is gone now i'm like protected i'm safe i'm healed and all of this terror has released and after we kind of went through that for a minute and they gave me that moment to really revel in that uh they were like okay but you're not done yet <laughs> and i was over. like <laughs> no i was like oh god okay so it's not really that easy but it is it is like and that i'm at least now in this new level of protection i'm not being constantly bombarded with demonic imagery and feelings um but my house still might have some attachment in it and those cards probably still hold the center of the attachment right the portal the door that i originally opened uh and invited in a spirit to come do all this work with me so they were like oh yeah you have to go you have to do this and that you have to kick the, the evil out of your house you have to say it to every part of your house every room of your house and then you have to invite god in you have to invite jesus in and then you have to burn those cards you look at this now, this is like a magic ritual that some fundamentalist Christians are giving me, right, right. <laughs> right? People don't think that that, you know, but the more I look into every tradition, every tradition has the same sort of yep. basic tenets of free will, of you banish, you invite, you, you know, and it's all up to you and, and you can do these things to invite it in. You can do these things to get it back out again. So I did, I um went home right after that. And so I guess I was 16 because I was driving around. So um by this point I was 16. So I went home. Uh, no one was there, luckily. So I got to do my my whole banishing ritual and and kick everything out. I grabbed the cards. And as I'm doing this, things are sort of heightening. Things are sort of flying out and around me and, and trying to intimidate me. But I'm like on fire now. I'm like, oh, I felt that Jesus in my heart. Like, you can't touch me now. Right. <laughs> and you get out and you stop messing with my, my dog. Now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very protective, right? So this is one of my main motivators. So I was like, my dog, I was like, have oh, my dog's been tortured this whole time too. And <laughs> so I'm like, you get away from my dog, you get away from me. And, and then I go outside to our fire pit and I um throw the cards in, and I start to try to burn them. And this storm whips up from nowhere. I mean, this is like a clear, bright day. And all of a sudden wind is gusting and there's like you know, the trees around us in the yard are all like whipping back and forth. And there's like pine cones flying at my face. And I'm like, 
Like, this is crazy. Like, this is some exorcist shit. Like, what? I'm and no one's here to help me. Like, I do this all by myself. And I'm like young and afraid. And so I'm just like committed and I'm doing it anyway. And I look around even at one point and realize like, even the house is right next to us. Our house is like 0.2 acres. It's very, they're packed together, you know, and their trees aren't moving at all. And my trees are all like whipping and shaking in this fury. So it's very clearly paranormal in nature. And, um, but it wasn't going to stop me. It was really hard to get the cards to burn. It was really hard to get the whole thing to finally just be ashes and nothing left. It took forever. I kept having to pour gas on it and burn it and gas and burn. Like it was like really, really crazy. Finally, it was burned. Finally, it was done. My property, I, I again invoked, you know, God and Jesus to protect this space. And and then I went into like a year of just fundamentalist Christianity because I was so, so relieved right. that this period was over and, um, you know, Satan was everywhere and Tara was Satan. And, you know, I, I went deeply through that. I read the Bible like three times. And um, luckily I was saved from that by a book called Conversations with God. Thank God for um, Walsh, yeah, right? Yeah, Donald Walsh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who I get to have on the show soon, which I'm very, very excited about. But um so that was sort of the saga from beginning to end. I do still have a very close relationship with Jesus, who's such a badass. Um, and I and I love Christianity in many ways too. And the Bible is full of gold, but I'm not I'm I'm not a fundamentalist. I don't only look at that. I look at every ancient tradition and every religious tradition for information and and support because they're all they're all really speaking the same language and saying the exact same thing when it comes down to it. And it's about ourselves and our, uh, our own connection to source and God within us uh, and the, and the free will that we have to, to choose what we want to be aligned with. Um, so it was a very powerful lesson. And it definitely started me on the road to uh, what I do now, which is spiritual healing and, and teaching, um, which I wouldn't do if I hadn't gone through that and many, many more demonic encounters throughout my life. <laughs> So, so would you call that sort of an awakening? And and if it was, what's your definition of uh, awakening? It was definitely an awakening, uh, and I do I do say an awakening because, um, you know, awakening uh, to to define it is that we just come to a new level of clarity and understanding, uh, and so we have that throughout our life, and we have it multiple times, uh, and if we had it just once it would be worthless, uh, right? Because uh, we're not done yet. We're not dead yet. Uh, and we're definitely not reunited with source yet, right? If that's if that's the goal um, of eventual, you know, sort of highest level soul realization, uh, that we're definitely not there yet either, or else we wouldn't be here uh, really, right? We'd be in like avatar form or, or whatever. <laughs> so, um, so awakenings are continuous uh, and they're not meant to happen just once, you know, you're meant to come to clearer and clearer, higher and higher levels of yourself and your own consciousness. Uh, and that's really what it is. So it, it was one awakening and it was a powerful one. Uh, and I've continued to have many throughout my life and I continue right. to have them still. What about uh, like UFO sort of stuff? Have you experienced any of that? Definitely throughout my life also. So at the same period of time, I also started experiencing uh, what people would call UFO contact. And um, I don't think of that as a physical nuts and bolts craft sort of experience. I've, they've shown me more than more than a thousand times how they're not physical beings. Right. Um and so it's definitely more like a, a interdimensional spiritual or consciousness experience more than anything else. 
So what was your first time seeing something, let's say, in the sky? And were you by yourself? Uh, like most of your experiences by yourself or they or like do you experience um, them with other people? Most of them. Well, no, most of them are not by myself, uh, but most of them were at that time by myself. And I definitely don't remember the first one at this point. I, When I tell people I've had thousands of UFO experiences, they might think that that's crazy. But literally every time I go yeah. outside, I might experience an interaction from one of these beings. So it, it is definitely in the thousands. And so therefore, it often happens with other people around. I no longer draw attention to it and ask people to experience it because I learned a long time ago that people don't necessarily want to. <laughs> They're not really actually ready for it and it scares them more than anything. So I don't uh, want to push that upon people. So, but if you're asking me if there's been times when other people have also seen right. and experienced that, then yes, there's been many of those as well. Do you have any examples of like a... Uh... Uh, I do. I might not have time to get into some of the best of them. Um, right. But I will say, uh, you know, at one point I was with somebody who saw... Um, a daytime uh, experience with one of these, I call them wogies sometimes because this is an one, one native word for such light beings, um, you know, but that confuses people too. So interdimensional consciousness might be a good descriptor for a lot of people. But I was with somebody who had a daytime experience of these uh, beings. And, you know, in the daytime, they can look like anything. And they often will just look like a plane, uh, which then people say, well, how do you know it's them? And uh, because I ask them mentally, psychically, if it is them, and then they give me some sort of sign. Uh, and one of the signs, for example, one time I saw one of them look like something like a Boeing 747, let's say, uh, and then turn into a Cessna, which is a very, very different type of plane. Um, oh, wow. just right in front of my eyes in broad daylight. So someone else saw something like that when I looked over and saw one very close actually, and looking more like a fighter jet. We're right, we're right by military and, and Boeing and a lot of sort of things when this was happening, uh, which then a lot of people say, how do you know it wasn't the military? And I say, again, because I talked to them long enough and have this psychic connection with them and you can just uh, understand you know, that it's very different than some of the things that the military does. So uh, anyways, someone else saw this uh, very close to us looking like a fighter jet and it's sort of flying and then it just stopped. And that was it. And I looked and I said, do you see that? And they said, yes. And I said, it's not moving. And they said, yes. And I said, it's not supposed to be able to do that. And they said, yes. And I said, what do you think that is? And they said, I don't know. I don't want to know. And then we kept driving and <laughs> it went yeah. another way or whatever. And I think some of those experiences were meant to show me like, stop trying to get people to see this. Cause I would tell a lot of my friends at the time, like, dude, there's weird things in the sky. And if you want to see them, like they seem to come when I look up and ask right. them to come and we can go look at them. And some people did want to at first and they did. And then they'd see it and they'd be like, but what is it? What's going on? But what is reality? <laughs> and start to freak out and, like, okay, I don't want to see this anymore. So I just think some of those experiences were meant to show me like this isn't, it's not like they're hiding from other people. It's that not everybody is ready or wants to be ready to to interact with them. And so, you know, conversely, when people ask me like, why you, why do they come to you? I say, because I, because I can handle it, <laughs> because I ask for it, um, you know, and because I, I want to. Uh, not, that's not where everybody's at. So I do think anybody who wants to and actually can handle it can go out and invite 
these experiences and and start seeing them. And, and I've seen that happen. So. All right. Awesome. So I know you got to go. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long, but next time I would really would like to get into like meditation and dream walking and all that other stuff. So, um, yeah. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, have fun tomorrow with, with writer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I hope you get better. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for inviting me. It's awesome to talk to you. Yes, and, ma'am. um, thank you for all you're doing. I know you're doing good yeah. work in the world. Listen, um, send me if you can a, a picture, a, like a thumb, so I can use in a thumbnail one that you're comfortable with, and any information like links to where you're awesome. at. That way, I can put that up, and I'll send you once I upload. I'll send you a link to all of, all of that. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right. Have a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye.